or maybe uh, it's just a, a tender time for you, uh, maybe having struggles, uh, wanting to be a mom, or uh, whatever that may be. So we want to be sensitive to that. Um, God uses all of these circumstances to uh, draw us to himself, to point us to himself. Uh, times such as um, celebration of our moms or a hardship remembering uh, a relationship with a mom or, or moms who have passed or whatever it may be. God uses these situations, uh, these circumstances to uh, draw us closer to himself. Uh, so this morning, although it's Mother's Day, uh, this morning is really all about Jesus and the gospel. And we're going to see how uh, God is at work through our circumstances uh, as he's been throughout human history for all time to draw people to himself. So if you're a guest, we are so glad you're here this morning, uh, and uh, we're still getting acclimated to our new space here, so bear with us as we continue to, to tweak out things. Um, but we're certainly glad that you have uh, gathered here this morning, that God has drawn us here to hear a word from him <clears throat> this morning. We've been going through the book of Deuteronomy, and today we're in Deuteronomy chapter 16, and we're going to be talking about what it means to remember in light of the gospel. What is gospel remembrance? The good news prompts us to remember who God is and what he's done, and therefore remember who we are and how we are to live. Remembrance can be something that uh, is looking backward at what has happened, but remembrance is also looking forward to what's to come in light of God's promises. And so today as we look at Deuteronomy 16, uh, I'm going to pray and we'll, we'll dive into this passage today. Um, Father God in heaven, thank you that you are a good and gracious God, that you are our Savior, our healer, our comforter, our king, and God, that you shape us and grow us to be more like your son, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that in Christ we are indeed more than conquerors. God, that in Christ we are forgiven, we are um, raised from being dead to being alive. And so, God, this morning as we celebrate who you are and what you've done, uh, God, I pray that you would open uh, deaf ears to hear open blind eyes to see, awaken dead hearts to beat with life, revive us to walk renewed as your people. God, I pray that you would convict us of sin and um, give us great joy knowing that we have forgiveness and healing in Christ. Uh, God, I thank you for your goodness to your people throughout all generations and the joy it is to gather together to celebrate who you are and what you've done for your people. We ask that you use this morning for your glory and our joy and that the good news of Jesus would advance from this place to the nations. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 16, as we've been going uh, through the book of Deuteronomy, we see that, that uh, this Old Testament book actually has the gospel all in it that even though it's considered a book of the law, there is gospel and grace throughout the book of Deuteronomy. And we're going to see today uh, that God has given specific instruction to his people to remember, to, to celebrate in remembrance uh, who he is and who they are. Look at Deuteronomy 16, verses 14 through 15. God's word says, You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast of the Lord your God at the place which the Lord will choose, because the Lord your God will bless you and all your, and all your produce and all the work of your hands, so that you will be altogether joyful. This is God's word for us, friends. This is a statement about gospel remembrance. The gospel remembrance involves looking back and looking forward. 
looking back to see what God has done and looking forward in light of what he's promised to do. That's what it means to remember. And here we see that God promises that remembering, gospel remembrance will bring joy to you and those around you. Think about the best dinner party you've ever been to. Or just what it means to have a good dinner party, right? I mean, you're, some of you are introverts. You're like, there's nothing more nightmarish than getting a bunch of people together, being loud and, you know, eating. Uh, but for many of us, it's a fun thing to do, right? I mean, like to get together. I mean, think about maybe the best dinner party you've ever been to. Maybe it was an engagement party. Maybe it was a wedding banquet. Maybe it was a Mother's Day luncheon. Maybe it was a birthday or a celebration. Think about something that was just really fun. Like yesterday, I got to see some of my brothers, one of my youngest brothers. I don't have favorites, but I really like my youngest brother a lot because he has this awesome beard and a bunch of tattoos, and he's just super cool. I like my other brothers, too, and my sister. But my youngest brother is just awesome. So I hadn't seen him in a couple months, and so we get together. We're eating food and just laughing and telling stories. Think about what makes a celebratory feast fun for you. I mean, maybe it's seeing someone you haven't seen in a long time. Maybe it's really good food. Maybe it's laughter. Maybe it's stories from the past. Maybe it's uh, arguing debates or something. Maybe it's meeting new friends. One time I went to dinner with like 18 of my friends and met this beautiful lady that I later married. So sometimes feasts can be pretty cool. We see that often what makes a celebratory feast amazing is remembering right you get together with your friends and you start telling old stories about 20 years ago when so and so did such and such or maybe you get together and start telling stories about your 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 grandfather who, who maybe passed 10 years ago but remember that time where he took his hunting and you know you accidentally did whatever sometimes celebrating over delicious food with a lot of friends and family involves swapping crazy stories, remembering what has happened, remembering the story that has led you to where you are now, remembering the people who have invested in you to make you who you are, remembering how God has been faithful through hardship, through terrible tragedy, but here you are, remembering that God has been so good and kind and blessed you, and here you are, remembering maybe things that have happened, good or for bad, triumphs and tragedies, hardship and celebration, Remembering is important. When we remember our story, when we remember our past, when we remember the promises that God has laid before His people that we look forward to, that is where the gospel is at work in our relationships. Jesus even says uh, in the New Testament, as we're going to see in a little bit later, as He is giving the, the, the Last Supper to His disciples, He says, do this in remembrance of Me. As He's still with them, He's remember, remember who I am, remember what I've done, remember what I promise I will do. And so here in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 16, we see that God is instructing his people. He has done amazing things for them. They were in bondage and slavery. He set them free. He says, I am your God. You are my people. I am going to take care of you like a parent to a child. I want you to trust me. I want you to obey me. I'm going to lead you to a land that I have promised for generations to give my people. 
And along the way, he instructs them, despite their rebellion, their disbelief, their doubt, their idolatry, their sin, God instructs them and commands them time and time again to obey. And here, in Deuteronomy 16, he instructs them to celebrate feasts. This is good news, right? I mean, God's saying, I want you guys to party. I want you to eat good food. But there's a purpose behind the food and the celebration that I want you to see. And for the Old Testament uh, Jews, it was looking back to what God had done and also looking forward to what he was going to do. For you and I in Christ, we look back to see what God had done and also how it points to, to Jesus for us. We can look and see how these Old Testament feasts point to Jesus and who he is and what he's done, but also what we have to look forward to in light of God's promises. You see, Deuteronomy 16 talks about three feasts. It was actually four, but two of them are kind of combined. So we're going to look at kind of how there are three feasts celebrated here that were meant to remind Israel of what God had done and the promises of what uh, what God would do. And I love how God says, so that you will be altogether joyful. I want you to remember Eat food, be joyful. Let's look at this together because this points us to Christ. The first feast I want us to see, it's kind of two in one. It was the feast of Passover and unleavened bread. It was kind of two feasts combined. Look at verses one through eight. It says, Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. You shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God and from the flock or your herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste that all the days of your life you may remember the day that when you came out of the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the flesh that you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain all night until morning. You may not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that the Lord your God has given you, but at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell in it. There you shall offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening at sunset at the time you came out of Egypt, and you shall cook it and eat it in the place that the Lord your God will choose. And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. For six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there you shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. There's a lot of specific instruction here of what God's people were to do to remember the Passover feast and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was to celebrate uh, his uh, quick liberation of them. If you um, look back in the book of Exodus, uh, I encourage you to to read the story in detail about how God had given them specific instruction and and how this is remembering what he had done what he had done to set them free. It was looking back to see how God had set them free. If you know the story of of the Exodus, um, how God had sent uh, numerous plagues upon Egypt to show uh, who he was and what he was doing, and that uh, the final plague, God had instructed his people to paint uh, with blood over their doorposts so that his spirit would pass over them and spare them as he went to strike down the firstborn of the households that were not his people. This was to remember the amazing things that God had done. Now, for you and I, we look at this, and I've had people ask me, well, as Christians, are we to observe Passover exactly like this? Are we to, why are we not to do these things? Um, the short answer is this, was to, uh, is this is to point us to Christ. So we're, we're going to get to that in a minute of why Jesus is our Passover lamb. In fact, I'll just go ahead and say that. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, the Apostle Paul says, Christ 
our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. John in Revelation 5 refers to Jesus as the lamb who was slain. You see, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper during this time of Passover in order that you and I as followers of Jesus will celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, to see how that points to Jesus. You see, for God's people, they were looking back at who they were as slaves, who they were in bondage, who they were as oppressed people, and then God came and set them free. So this feast is for them to remember, first, who God is and what he's done for them, and second, who they were, but who now they are because of God's intervention. And Jesus comes on the scene hundreds of years later, instituting the Lord's Supper during the Passover feast and says, hey, this is my bread of my body. This is the juice and wine that we have here that represents the blood of Christ, the new covenant for you and I, by which we have freedom. So for you and I, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we look back to who we were apart from Christ, enslaved in bondage and sin. And we look to who we are in Christ as people set free. Do you ever look back to where you were? I mean, sometimes we don't like to. Maybe it was a hard season. Maybe it was a season of great tragedy, brokenness, sin. Maybe it was a season of complete despair for you and discouragement. Maybe a season where you were desperate for intervention. And how has God worked? How has God drawn you from that place to where you are? Now, see, Passover was a time for God's people to look back to see what he had done, to look at where they were, but now to see where they are now. Secondly, I want us to look at this, the Feast of Weeks, verses 9 through 12. You shall count seven weeks, begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle was first put to the standing grain. Then you shall keep the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow who are among you, at the place the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. Again, God is instructing them of another feast, the Feast of Weeks. This is where we understand that is, is Pentecost. It was a time to celebrate 50 days um, after Passover. It was a time to celebrate God's provision, God's uh, protection. It was a time to celebrate God's fulfillment of his promises for his people. And here we see again the instruction is you shall remember but I love what God says here. He says, hey, look, I want you to, he says, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And then he, don't you love how he just lays out, hey, you're going to rejoice before the Lord your God, but not just you, uh, your son, your daughter, male servant, female servant, Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, fatherless widow, those who are among you at the place that God will choose. What I love about celebration, about remembering as I've said before, look back to who has played a role in your life to bring you to this point. But what God says here is as you celebrate, you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. Do you ever think that the way we celebrate actually has an impact on other people? Did you know that? Like, did you ever think, like, who wants to go to a, 
But what if you just called up and said, hey, we're going to have this awesome party. There's going to be great food there. But the whole time you're there, the conversation is going to be totally guilt-ridden. I mean, dude, we're going to throw some barbecue out there. I mean, we're going to have like the best wine and some killer desserts. But the whole time you're there, we're just going to lay out guilt. Friends, I think I'd probably just go grab a Crystal Burger and go home. Like, I mean, you could lay out some filet mignon, but if you're inviting me over to dinner and the whole time I'm sitting across from you, you're going to lay out how much you hate me, how ugly I am, how stupid something was in my past, maybe how you like so-and-so better. I mean, just think about that. What kind of deranged party would that be? None of you are ever going to want to come to my house for dinner now like, oh man, Jeremy has some weird parties. You see, no one in their right mind would throw a party to have people over to just belittle them and make them feel awful and stupid and outcast. The whole point of a celebration feast is to gather people around and the fact that our joy is contagious. Verse 11, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who is within your town, the sojourner. That could be like the stranger, the foreigner, the fatherless, those who are orphaned, right? The widow, those who have lost a spouse. What I love about this, I was reading... I have stacks of books. I was like, how in the world are we going to preach this, how this points to Jesus? And I opted to do an overview to say, hey, look, the Passover is the context from which Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper to say the Passover is really about me. Feast of Weeks, too, I was looking and saying, how does this Pentecost, right? We see in Acts 2, as the gospel is proclaimed, During a season of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down and lights up his people to start attesting to the gospel of Jesus, and thousands of people are saved. And I was thinking about how does that fit within the Deuteronomy 16 context of the Feast of Weeks? And I was thinking, Deuteronomy 16 says, Hey, look, the Lord your God blesses you, and you shall rejoice in this context of people around you, sons, daughters, servants, Levites, sojourners, fatherless widows. I think there's some correlation there. Maybe it's just me. But I look at Deuteronomy 16 and see how God blesses and there's joy and it's contagious. And then I look over to Acts 2 and during the time of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down and people are blessed by the Lord and people rejoice and it's contagious Maybe that's just me. Look it up when you get home. I don't know. You guys all right out there? I'm sorry you guys get stuck with this profile. I'm sorry you guys get stuck with this profile. Look at your Bibles. Let's look at Jesus. It's all going to be good. I'm still getting used to this too. We see that Passover points us to Jesus. We see that the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, points us to Jesus from the Holy Spirit. We see His ultimate blessing, ultimate joy, ultimate contagion of good news. Feast of Tabernacles, verse 13 through 17. You shall keep 
the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles, seven days when you have gathered to the, the produce from your threshing floor and your wine press. You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast of the Lord your God at the place the Lord your God will choose. The Lord your God will bless you and all your produce and all the work of your hands so that you will be altogether joyful. Man, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, at the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. I love it. The Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles is celebrating the harvest, celebrating the summertime festival, so it's like cookout time. They're looking forward to God's provision. It's not only a testimony of God's provision before them, but for them it was looking forward to the ultimate harvest of what was to come, that God was going to continue to provide for them. And I was reading, telling you, man, you always have to read the Old Testament to see the New Testament really play out, and then you have to read the New Testament in light of the Old Testament, and there's so many subtle nuances for you and I that we miss, and I, I'd never really thought about that this week. This, I was reading this passage thinking, okay, how does the Feast of Tabernacles come into play with Jesus? Because it's about God's provision, it's about God, you know, providing for his people. That's why he says, hey, look, I want you to don't show up empty-handed. You're going to be joyful. I've blessed you. Here's all kind of harvest. I want you to show up, and part of your worship is to give of part of what you've been blessed by the Lord. God has given you. I want you to be generous with what you've given. So it's like, hey, I get that. We're to be generous in Christ. But, but look at this. In John chapter 7, during this particular feast, the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus... Yeah, I always have to see Jesus' speaking and action in the context in which it is. I think it's mind-blowing when I thought about this. It was during the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, God's people are together saying, let's celebrate who God is and what he's done. Let's celebrate his provision for us. Let's celebrate our history. Let's celebrate who we are as redeemed people. Let's celebrate remembering backwards, but also remembering forward that God has promised one day to set us free for good and to bless us for eternity and to send a Messiah who will come and rule over us with all justice and all holiness and all righteousness. And in the midst of that celebration in John 7, Jesus stands up during this feast. Scripture says on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you see what Jesus did in the context of this feast? You see, this is what Jesus does throughout the New Testament. See, God is laying the groundwork in Deuteronomy for God's people to look back, but also for God's people to look forward. You and I have the benefit of of being after Jesus to see how Jesus was fulfilling everything that God's people were looking forward to. You see, the Passover was like, remember who you were, and God set you free. By the way, I'm going to make good on my promises ultimately, so look forward to that. And Jesus says, here I am. I'm here to make good on God's promises. I'm setting God's people free once and for all. I am the Passover lamb. 
God says in Deuteronomy 16, hey, remember the Feast of Weeks. Remember that this is a time of harvest. I will provide for you. You will be blessed. There will be joy. That joy is contagious. And then Jesus comes, lives his perfect life, dies, comes back to life, commissions his disciples out, sends his Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes down while they're celebrating the Feast of Weeks. Pentecost infuses his people to just start celebrating the gospel in all kind of different languages. That joy is contagious. God is blessing them and thousands of people come to faith. And I just imagine Jesus saying, see, this is what I was telling you. The feast of Pentecost is pointing to me. Here I am making good on that promise. As you and I can look back and say, wow, that's pretty cool. Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths celebrating the harvest. God, God providing for his people so that they will be generous and also representing an eschatological hope that Jesus would one day, a Messiah, would one day come to rule over God's people. And then Jesus in John 7 steps up and says, hey, I'm that guy. He starts quoting Old Testament prophecy to say, hey, look, if you thirst, come to me and drink. Believe in me. Believe in me. So friends, if you're reading Deuteronomy 16 and you're saying, man, this is so confusing. Are we to keep these feasts? Are we not do these feasts? What does it mean? It all points to Jesus. And if you want to do these feasts day in and day out, have at it. But if you miss Jesus, you miss the point of the feast. We can look at it and say, wow, this was all to show God's goodness and to point to Jesus. And we can look at Jesus and say, wow, look at, I mean, God is a grand storyteller, is he not? Very elaborate. You're thinking, man, couldn't he have made it easier? No, it's much better this way. So what does this mean for you and I today? What does Deuteronomy 16, you're probably thinking, what is the bullet points of what we are to do? Do we keep the Passover? Do we keep the feast? What do we do? I want us to focus on what gospel remembrance is. Remembering the past and remembering in light of God's promises, looking forward to the future. I want us to have hope for the future and have joyful gratitude for the past as God has told his people here he says as as you will keep the feast you will rejoice you will rejoice and the Lord your God will bless you you will be all together joyful so what how does that play out for you and I today I'll give you a couple practical things to take away today and you can apply them immediately in fact I want you to if you walk out of here saying hey I learned something new about feasts well that's cool there's a lot more you can learn about feasts. I'm still learning too. I got stacks of books. Come up here tomorrow. We'll sit down and open up these books together. It's crazy. Some hard stuff, man. My brain was like on fire all week just thinking, wow, I was hungry all week too. I was like, this is so good. A couple of practical things I would encourage you to try. What it means to foster, to cultivate gospel remembrance, to remember in light of the gospel. First, I would say this is recount the story of God. Like, retell it over and over again. Are you numb to the gospel? Are you numb to the story? Like, some of you are probably like, hey, I've never heard this before. This is really interesting and really confusing. Others will be like, yeah, yeah, I've heard Passover, whatever. Took that class, I'm done with it. Do you you retell the story of God with joy? Do Do you recount God's work in your life and throughout Scripture and throughout human history? In fact, we're going to look at this in a minute. Deuteronomy 6 says, God is instructing His people, you shall teach these things diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise. Pretty much all the time, retell, recount the story of God. So I would encourage you today, if you go to lunch with your mom, or if you go to lunch with your spouse, share a story, any story. 
It could be something uber spiritual or it could be something seemingly insignificant. I can tell you there's nothing insignificant in any story that you tell. In fact, if you step back, you can see these subtle nuances of God as this master author writing these random little things in there that have some impact on your life to tell of his goodness and to shape you who you are. So recount the story of God biblically. Retell some stories. Secondly, gospel remembrance involves feasting, eating. It's so biblical to eat together. There are so many feasts in the Bible, and I think that we can talk about the meaning of each feast, but I think we should do that while we eat. <laughs> you know, you don't want to, it's like only so much you can learn about something. You have, sometimes you have to do it. It's like on-the-job training. I can't, we can't talk about swimming all day and you never get in the pool. You can't talk about feasting without actually eating. But I'm not trying to make light of it. I, I, want, I want to... There's something very biblical about sharing a meal together. There really is. I think we miss it as Americans because we have vending machines everywhere. But it's a way for us to express commonality as humans that, that we have to be provided for, right? It, for us to sit down and share a meal is both of us saying we can't survive on our own. We're trusting provision from somewhere. Often we just think it's because we have money to put in the vending machine. But as a first century Christian, they didn't have those luxuries so getting together and sharing a meal is, is actually a very humbling thing to do. It's very uh, social to, to share food together. It's an act of generosity. It's an act of thanksgiving. It's an act of celebration. It's an act of remembrance. Eat together and eat good food together. Don't eat nasty food. Eat good food. Celebrate God's goodness and celebrate it well. Be generous and invite others to the table. In fact, there's a, a, a pastor that I know that challenges people. He says, you know, on average, you'll probably eat 21 meals a week. Why don't you try to eat three of those with a non-Christian? Can you imagine what would happen if you, before work, met a non-Christian for coffee and a muffin? Or if you took a non-Christian out to lunch and just talked about whatever, God's, hear, hear their story, share the, the good news of the Lord with them? Do it over a good meal, not a nasty one. Gospel remembrance is retelling the story of God, eating together, giving. In fact, God even says here, every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. Friends, remembering the gospel causes us to be generous, to be generous to other people, to be generous toward uh, your church, to be generous toward your coworkers, your school, your family. Are you a generous person? Because, friends, when we forget the gospel, we, we are not generous. The second we forget, that's why God even says here, hey, look, remember, Israel, you were slaves, but now you're free. Celebrate that and celebrate it by feasting, by rejoicing, and by being generous. So, friends, are you generous? It's hard to be generous. If you forget the gospel, it's very hard to be generous. But remembering the good news causes us to be generous givers. Worship Gathering together in worship, this is why we meet every Sunday. This is not just some moralistic ritual. Our goal is to get together and say, man, look what God has done throughout history. Can you believe that God did this thousands of years ago? Can you believe that Jesus continues to do this? The Holy Spirit continues to do these things for the good of his people and the glory of his name? That's why we get together on Sundays. We worship together through singing, through prayer, through communion. Gospel remembrance involves your family. 
Numerous times in this passage, God is instructing for them to rejoice before the Lord with your son and your daughter. Right? Do you rejoice? Do you remember what the Lord has done in and through your family? You have relationships and community. That's why they start laying out like servants and Levites and sojourners and fatherless and widows. Do you relate, relate to other people in your community to share the good news of who God is and what he's done? See, friends, gospel remembrance involves looking back to who God is and what he's done and who we were. It also involves looking forward to who we are in Christ and looking forward to what is to come in light of the good news of Jesus. This brings us joy. This joy is contagious. So friends, I want to ask you a couple things as we have a time of response. I want us to pause and kind of assess the attitude of our hearts and our minds. Do you believe the gospel of Jesus? Do you believe that in Christ you were truly set free? I mean, what's the What's the attitude of your heart and mind right now? Are you bored by the gospel? Are you confused by the gospel? That's okay. Does it excite you to know that God did amazing things and said, hey, I want my people not just to be free, but I want them to remember all of this by eating great food and having great joy and being generous. I will bless them so that they will be altogether joyful. Friends, that good news is true for us in Christ by the Holy Spirit. It's what I want us to know. I'm going to beat that drum until I'm dead. (laughs) So today I want to ask you to think about a couple things. If you are not a Christian, we want you to know more than anything that this is not a prescriptive feast list you must keep so that the Lord will bless you, but rather it's a way to see, uh, to respond, to say, wow, look what God's done, that in Christ you can look back and see what God has done in your life. Friends, if you are a Christian, I want us to remember the gospel uh, by retelling the story, feasting, giving, worshiping, being with family and friends, and seeing who God is and what he's done. I want us to repent of sin, repent of brokenness, to repent of not worshiping, of not being joyful, to repent of not being generous, and to, to turn to Christ and say, Lord, give us joy. You can't fake joy. God, give us, give us joy. Give us like Deuteronomy 16, altogether joyfulness. Give us acts to Holy Spirit-infused joy. God, give us joy. I want to be the most joyful people spilling out on the streets on Broad Street this morning. It's not like hokey, weird, fake, but I mean like joy. Like, wow. Because if you're joyful in light of the gospel, there'll be some awesome feasting, awesome giving, awesome worship, awesome family, friendships. Everybody's joyful in the end.